0: Welcome to Spiro Avenue, and now your host, Justin Spiro.
1: Hello, I am Justin Spiro, and thank you for joining us today. The perils of stubbornness, that is the subject of today's opening statement. The flailing Detroit Tigers are nine games under 500, eight games out of first place, and a million miles away from World Series contention. The Tigers entered the all-star break among Major League Baseball's biggest disappointments. And just take a look at the numbers. The numbers will bear this out. They have a $211 million payroll, good for a fourth highest in Major League Baseball, trailing only the Red Sox, Yankees, and the Dodgers, each of whom would be in the playoffs if the season ended today. Look at what they've paid per win. Per win, the underachieving Detroit Tigers have paid $2.7 million. Now, for some context, only the San Francisco Giants are worse at $2.8 million per win, and frankly, their fans can pop in any of the three Blu-rays of their victory parades in the Bay to cheer them up. We don't have any such luxury here in Detroit. The first place Indians pay, conversely, $1.4 million per win thus far this season. So in other words, the Cleveland Indians, of their cute little payroll, are literally twice as efficient and twice as effective as your Detroit Tigers, literally twice. And you can, you can quantify that with the numbers. What are you getting for your dollar? Now look at what, just I rewind back to March. In March, the Las Vegas Sportsbooks had the Detroit Tigers pegged for 85 wins. Currently, the Tigers are on pace for approximately 76. Now for you math majors, that's a differential of 9, a negative differential of 9. How does that quantify against the rest of the league? Well, that would be third worst. The only one worse, and frankly quite a bit worse, the aforementioned San Francisco Giants, who were projected to win 96 games and are similarly on pace for about 75-76. So a difference of 20. The Cubs, 10 below their average. So by any metric, really, and there's numbers that we can mention, the Detroit Tigers are between the first and third most disappointing, most underachieving team in Major League Baseball. This isn't a Detroit Tigers fan who's just angry and is saying, oh, we're the worst. Okay, this is something that we can point to a number of metrics and say that this team statistically is literally somewhere between the first and third most disappointing team in Major League Baseball. And when you look at the two teams that are on the list with them, it's the Chicago Cubs and the San Francisco Giants. The defending champions and then the virtual dynasty that's out of San Francisco. So the company the Tigers are keeping, frankly, uh, it's not apples to apples. I would say there is no existence more miserable right now for a baseball fan than being a fan of the Detroit Tigers. The only company at the bottom of the barrel they have are the defending champions and, and the best team of this century, arguably, in, in San Francisco. So you have to look at this diagnostically. Okay? What brought the Tigers here? Some people can say they're stupid. I don't buy it. I think it's stubbornness. And there's a number of ways this stubbornness has bared out in practice. We've seen it repeatedly. Brad Osmus escaping from the gallows of execution for the third consecutive year. The organizational resistance to the analytics movement. The analytics movement that's, that won those titles in Boston, that just won a title in Chicago after 107 years. That same movement that made a 60-win team at the All-Star break out of the Houston Astros this season? How many times have we seen it work? The Detroit Tigers have a top-down resistance to this movement and have had it since the Jim Leland era was ushered in in 2006. Moving on, you have Al Avila giving a second year to Mike Pelfrey, the putrid Mike Pelfrey, despite every statistical model saying that it was a, a terrible signing and that it would flop. But what did Al Avila do? He went for scouts over stats. And this isn't me saying this. Al Avila said it after the signing. People were saying, why are you giving this crappy pitcher a second year at an $8 million clip? He said, oh, it was a scout signing. The scouts liked him. Stubbornness. Ignoring the numbers, looking at the old school method. And that's how this team has been operated. And you can look at the Justin Verlander extension in 2013. $30 million a year, nearly, two years before the contract was even up. If the team had just waited a year when Verlander had his down season, assuming that would have still happened, they would have saved arguably 8 to $10 million a year on that contract, or at least 5 They wouldn't have been paying them $30 off a 4.8 ERA. And finally, although there's many other examples, I'm just going to list – The decision to stubbornly walk away from Max Scherzer in 2015 because Mike Gillich felt slighted during the negotiations. The same Max Scherzer who in his third year with the Nationals is the best pitcher in Major League Baseball and has been in the top three in every statistic, ERA, wins above replacement, doesn't matter, since he got there. Year three of dominance from Max Scherzer in the National League, the Tigers washed their hands of him not because they couldn't afford him, not because they thought he didn't have it and just made an honest guess wrong. It was stubbornness. And how do we know it's stubbornness? Just like Al Avila told you his stubborn reason for signing Mike Pelfrey. Mike Gillich told us his stubborn reason for not signing Max Scherzer. This organization has been plagued. The Detroit Tigers are unadaptable dinosaurs. The climate is changing rapidly around them. The food chain has been disrupted. Food is becoming scarce. And the Detroit Tigers are doing the same old routine, expecting the environment to adapt to them instead of the other way around. You can call them the Detroit Saber Tooth Tigers, an homage to another extinct species. And make no mistake, this team as we know them is extinct. You look at the most successful organizations in sports, and you can go across, it's not just baseball, there's numerous examples. The best one I like to cite is the St. Louis Cardinals. Albert Pujols was done in 2012 uh, off a dominant decade in St. Louis. Okay, arguably the greatest hitter of all time. There's an argument for it. He's in the top five for sure. Every conventional wisdom said you can't let that guy go. You don't let that type of Hall of Famer walk out your door. That's what everybody said. But the St. Louis Cardinals, unlike your Detroit Tigers and many other teams, they have self-esteem. They don't care what the fans say, what the media says. They let Albert Pujols walk. And what happened? He's the Angels' problem now. And then the Cardinals ended up winning the pennant the next season in 2013 and lost to a very good Boston team in six games. Could have easily won that series. A couple games swung late either way. 2014, the year after that, they win the division again and lose a tight National League Championship Series. So they're basically in the Final Four again the next year. This is after the, the guy that they just couldn't let go, they let go. Compare that to Detroit, the Detroit Tigers, who everyone said, you just can't let Miguel Cabrera go. Look, I love Miguel Cabrera as much as anybody, okay? I'm not on the hate Miguel Cabrera train. But the Tigers are stubborn. They extended this guy for a decade nearly. In the Detroit Tigers, that's the problem. That's the problem with this whole era. The Tigers always thought they could outsmart the room. They were smarter than the trends. Sabermetrics, oh, that's for nerds. The concept of not signing an aging slugger through their age 42 season for top dollar? Screw you, 30-year history of this never working. We're going to do it our way. We know better. We're going to ignore the numbers. We're going to ignore the trends. We're going to do things the Tigers' way. We're going to do what we want to do, and look what it's got in them. You want to pay Miguel Cabrera $30 million through his age 42 season? He's breaking down at 34, 35. Have at it. That's a long time from now. And they got to pay it. This isn't the NFL. You're not going to cut them. The Detroit Tigers always thinking they could outsmart the room. No different from a dinosaur who thinks he can outsmart his changing habitat. Stubbornness will be their downfall. And it has been. So this era of Tigers baseball is over as we know it, the cause of death. It's not stupidity. It's simply stubbornness. And on that note, I'm going to bring in a guy. I'm, I'm so excited for this segment. I discovered this, this young guy uh, just a couple days ago, really, and uh, I, I was so late to the party. People couldn't believe I didn't know who he was already, given my profound social media presence. This is a a young guy who is a a student at Central Michigan University, a place still dear to my heart from my two years there before transferring to my beloved Michigan State. He is the creator of the Baseball Casanova podcast and one of the most fascinating Tiger fans you will ever meet, Chris Castellani. Thank you for joining the Spiro Avenue podcast.
0: I'm beyond happy to be on. I appreciate that intro, and uh, I I love that opening segment. I'm uh, with you almost word for word uh there is one little thing i want to correct and that is Poole holtz's last year with the cardinals was actually 2011 it was the year they won the world series
1: well he signed with the i believe he signed with the angels in 2012 though that's what i meant he oh, left okay. he left
0: in 2012 is what i said oh, okay um, all right Sorry. so yeah yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, we're splitting hairs here the point is the same so uh, i find you fascinating i'll just tell you honestly you you have these these rants on Twitter, I, I, don't, I can't tell, I haven't followed you long enough, if it's after every game or if it's after losses, like a reverse Dan Dickerson where no, it's, he only tweets after wins, you only tweet after losses. I,
0: I do it after every game, a win or lose. And uh, it, the, I had one this most uh, recent weekend after that uh, 11-2 uh, shellacking, courtesy of the Indians, and it just took off. And it's been a, a wild last couple days, and uh You know, that's that's led to uh, me being on here. And it's been a blast. So, you know, it's I've just been uh, really thankful.
1: Well, I saw you broke. uh, How old are you? I'm 22. You're 22. So you you broke 3000 followers, which I mean, for a a college kid who's just kind of talking about the teams, I mean, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's pretty unheard of. What? Why do people follow you? I mean, I know why I do. Where? Where is the the appeal from your eyes? What do you think you offer?
0: Well, that's a, it's a question I've asked myself before, and and I, I think, I think people love the passion. I think people dig, uh, you know, the the fact that I represent uh, a lot of the frustration that many Tigers fans represent. It's just I can verbalize it. And two, I think people might follow me for the rants, but they stay with me for the fact that, you know, the, I do those post-game videos off the cuff. I mean, that's me, you know, getting angry, just uh, spitting venom about how disappointed I am towards the team's performance. But after after that's done, you know, I try to go back and I look at what's gone wrong with this team. You know, I'm huge into the Sabre metrics. I I love the advanced analytics. You know, I, I I live and die by that stuff. And uh, you're absolutely right with what you talked about with this team's inability to adapt or, or change. And as far as why people follow me, I I, I think that they're interested to see what I do next, because, you know, that I've had multiple rants that have all of a sudden led you know i i had 800 followers about a month and a half ago a month and a half ago and uh i did one rant and all of a sudden i went from 800 to, to 1200 and then that you know the following kind of continued to grow and then out of nowhere i went from 1600 to 3000 after one video so i think it's just people's fascination to see uh, what's what's this crazy guy going to do next and hopefully it leads to uh you know, people realizing that I'm, yeah, that ranting and that raving is always going to be be there, but uh, I am somebody who, who passionately loves the game of baseball.
1: And it, it seems really authentic with you. I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of look at me, look at me in 2017, especially online. People are putting on a show. I, I basically think that you're just being you and you put the camera on, but uh, that's uh, my yeah. read early on. You, you there doesn't seem to be a drop of uh, disingenuousness in you.
0: Right. And I I made this I I did an interview last night and I made this comparison where that the most recent rant that I did was kind of like the Twitter equivalent of the first hangover movie where it was out of nowhere. It was uh, spontaneous. It was crazy, but it was also pretty entertaining and funny, but it was also genuine. And the last thing I want to do is I don't want to be a hangover too I don't want to remake what I've already done because it would be disingenuous. And there's going to be games where I'm going to get really angry. But when they win, I say nice things. And I try to give reasons why they won. Why, why was this pitcher successful? What was his first pitch strike percentage? Was he getting a lot of ground balls, depending on, on who the pitcher is? But when they lose, usually it's pretty simple with this team. And that particular game was just a perfect microcosm of everything wrong with the Osmus administration and everything wrong with this organization right now.
1: Well, I'm curious, you know, what what is your diagnosis with this team? They're not just the culturally from top down of to the last five years or the entirety of the office era, four years. This specific team, did you expect them to be better? And if if so, why aren't they better?
0: I did expect them to be better. I didn't think they'd make the playoffs because, and I, I talked about this with you guys a little bit before the show, through all the hoopla that went on that ultimately turned out to be nothing with Al Avila in the offseason saying, hey, we're going to be cutting payroll not doing it, and then they kind of came into this season, and the question I asked was, well, did, did they get any better? And the answer really was, was no. So I thought that they would be a little bit luckier with some of the injuries, and they haven't been. Uh, you well, know, let me
1: interrupt you, and I hate to do it because I hate doing it to anyone I interview. No, but I, I don't buy this argument with the, the lucky with the injuries, and this is something I said last season. It's not luck when you have an aging roster. That's true. It, it, it's there's no you know, you're, this is who you took to the dance. Okay, mm-hmm. when you have an aging roster, old guys get hurt. This is what happens. In, in baseball. It's a long season. You know, I don't care. If people say it, it's a non-contact sport. It's easy. It's a lot of standing around. It's grueling. Yeah, I'll tell you what. You go travel around the country for eight months and tell you don't do anything. Just sit in your room. You're going to be exhausted. The travel's exhausting. These guys get nicked up. So. I, I've heard your argument that you know oh they were unlucky with the injuries. I'm not saying you're making that excuse necessarily, but it's something that's out there that other people have said, it's something we've heard in the media repeatedly. Oh, Cabrera is dealing with all this issue, you know, this issue, that issue, his groin, his hip, his back. You can't blame Miguel Cabrera. You can't blame the Tigers. This is this is who you signed, right? This is this is a guy who's in his mid thirties. Mid thirties guys get hurt, right? But and, that's, and
0: and I, I get I get what you're saying. It's just that I thought they'd be able to be a little bit relatively healthier than they were last season. Uh, I thought that Jordan Zimmerman, because Jordan Zimmerman, he, he's thirty-something. He's not. He's not, you know, in his. He's not like Miggy, where he's in his mid-thirties. But so I thought, you know, what that neck injury, maybe maybe he can bounce back and be an average starter. He's not. He's terrible, and uh, and so I thought they'd be better. I didn't think they'd make the playoffs. But uh, the thing is, and the unfortunate reality of it, is that Kinsler's value has gone way down. He's had one of his weakest years. Uh, Victor has appeared to be comatose for half or, or majority of the season. Uh, Miggy's having his worst year as a Tiger, probably the worst year of his career. And so they've had a group of underachieving guys. I mean, I, even... In my worst scenario for this team, I didn't think Verlander would have an ERA above 4-5. I didn't think he would be in the top three in walks. And that's ultimately where the the frustration lies, is that I felt like they didn't get any better. And this organization, you know, you brought up stubbornness. They kind of became a bit complicit in the sense that they felt like this year they had a roster that said, okay, well, the division's not very good maybe we could sneak into a wild card spot or sneak into the playoffs. And I, and I think that, that is so beyond ridiculous to me because, say what you will about the Dombrowski era, but there were at least two teams that you looked at preseason and said, this is a team that could contend for a World Series. I, 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 I don't care about, oh, can this team get into, can, get into the playoffs? You look at the Dodgers, you look at the Cubs, you look at the Astros, all three of those teams preseason, even with the Cubs struggles, you looked at them preseason and said, that's a team that can win the World Series. And if that's not your main goal, then, then make moves to start to rebuild. Don't become what the Philadelphia Phillies did at post-2011, where they were trying to say, oh, well, let's keep Ryan Howard on. Maybe he can bounce back. Let's keep Chase Utley on for, until he's past his prime. Let's keep Jimmy Rollins on. No, you, you have a core. You have a window. It was closing. And this was kind of their last-ditch effort, and they didn't do anything to improve them themselves. And because of that, it's led to what's been a disastrous first half that's pro- definitely not going to get any better knowing that they're going to trade away some assets.
1: I, I think you're spot on. And this is something that is so lost on people where a lot of the chatter from the fans, and uh, you know, maybe I'm in the Twitter echo chamber. Guilty, that's fine. Yeah, same here. I mean, that's, so we hear what we hear, but what I heard repeatedly, was stay in this team can make a run? They can, as you said, sneak in. Mm-hmm. That's just something we heard over and over again. And I, I liken it. And I agree with you. If, if you're, you know, if you're not going to compete for the title, just get out. Right. Uh, you know, get the goal. In my opinion, as a sports fan, if I if I were ever running a sports team, is to win a title. My goal is not to to break five hundred. My goal is not to get into the playoffs. And you know, if you're talking about the NBA, just get walloped in the in the first round. Exactly. To what end are you going to be competing for a title? I agree with you completely, and I would liken it really to the Detroit Pistons when they tried to extend the Bad Boys 2 so called era by acquiring Allen Iverson. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is a, a team that was so stale that the starting five, as good as they were, and they had a great run, won one title, should have won two. At least. Should have yeah. won two. And, frankly, I thought even in 2006 we're screwed by the officials uh, with the Dwayne Wade situation, and that played out in the finals, too. I mean, that team could have won three in a row. Right. Uh, You know, went on the road in Game 7 of their potential back-to-back year and were tied in the fourth quarter against a great San Antonio team, and and they lost. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Rashid Lizori in Game 5, I mean, that's a nightmare. But the bottom line is that Pistons' core, as good as they were, we got to 07, 08, they were hanging on, okay i get it you want to hang on for a year or two fine but they kept going in mm-hmm. 09 they're gonna they're gonna keep trying to keep the band together and when they finally decide to shake it up they trade the one guy out of the five they shouldn't have i would argue yeah. i mean it, trade anybody get rid of anybody but chauncey ben i, I guess it had already gone as a free agent to chicago but they let the one guy go that they shouldn't have let
0: go he was the heart and soul of that of that organization at the time and that and, and he that, was the leader of that team
1: yes and that ended everything But. You, what you see, it's the same type of stubbornness I'm talking with the Tigers, where you just can't accept it. The St. Louis Cardinals have—you they, they, don't think they wanted to let Albert Pujols go? Of course they wanted—they wanted to keep that guy. They want to let that guy go. He's, you know, for sentimental reasons. Obviously, he's, they thought he still had some pretty good baseball after him. He's been an underachieving disappointment in in California, but I mean, the guy's not been bad. He's no. still blasting thirty bombs a year.
0: Yeah, he he, he he's. Had been given a different role, and he's filled that fine. Yeah. You know, he's not the 330 hitter that he once was. You know, he's no. going to be 250, but
1: but the Cardinals recognize it. That's the point, point. And, exactly. the, and they ended up they won a pen it. No, I mean again, they won I'm two gonna,
0: World Series, with I, the guy.
1: right? And I'm not I'm not going to kill the Cardinals because they didn't win a World Series without him, and they won two with him. They came within two games of winning one mm-hmm. a, against Boston. That Boston team was great, and as we said earlier, the games were close. The point is, you have organizations that look at things more than two inches in front of their face. And we don't have that with the Detroit Tigers. Mm-hmm. What you have is a team that is, is stuck trying to it just extend it, keep this core together one more year. This thing should have been blown up a couple years ago, I would argue, but definitely, definitely now. Mm-hmm. Why are these guys still here? That J.D. Martinez, I, w- I want him to resign. J.D. Martinez. It's not going to happen. Right. Trade these guys. If, if I'm going to ask you, what kind of video are we going to get from you on your Twitter account? If this team just stands bad and trades nobody. I mean, I've heard that that could happen. Not nobody. They'll trade Avila. But what if they hold JD, they hold Cabrera, they hold Verlander? I mean, what kind of video am I going to get out of you? I, I'm almost hoping it happens just to see your head explode.
0: <laughs> yeah, th- well, that's the thing. That's what I was thinking. Is I, I It will be uh, an extreme blow-up. And it'll also be kind of sad because that'll be the realization that this team just set themselves back five years or maybe or you know at 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 the least if they decide to stand pat because I mean what it would just be one of those head-scratching moves and if that happens Al Avila shouldn't be the GM if that I mean that is that is a fireable offense and some would argue he's already had some fireable offenses with some of the signings but yeah I mean yeah you'll see you will see uh I will probably fracture my larynx at some point. I mean, it, it would be an absolutely uh, abysmal move to not move anybody by Avila. And real, real quick, because you brought up the Cardinals again, the thing that the Tigers and a, and a lot of their fans point to when they talk about the whole, oh, well, maybe they can sneak in, is the fact that the Cardinals, back in 2006, won a World Series with 83 wins. And because of the uh you know implementation of the second wild card spot a lot of teams that you would not expect to win at all have won it here's the difference in 2006 and 2011 that was a Tony Larussa managed ball club 2006 that team had that division 1 with, like, 30 games left and stumbled down the stretch. They still had Holtz, They had Roland. They had Edmonds, who was admittedly on the back nine. They had Chris Carpenter, who's one of the best postseason pitchers of all time. And they got, you know, some really surprising performances by guys like Jeff Supon. And then you look at a team like the Giants in 2014 that only won 88 games and, and won the World Series. That's what I think the Tigers were hoping for. But once again... Those were more well-run organizations that had, really, especially that Giants team, less talent and did more with it. I mean, tr- where's Travis Ishikawa right now? I, I have no idea. But he, he's going to be remembered as the guy who yeah. won the Giants the pennant. That I, year. I don't know
1: if his family knows where he is.
0: Yeah, yeah and, that's a good it, point. You know, in
1: 2006, the St. Louis Cardinals, people, and I've heard that cited as well by mm-hmm. some people, you know, oh, look at the Cardinals. If you want to cite... The statistical worst champion in the history of professional sports have at it. I'm not going to do it. They finished, just as you mentioned, above 500. Mm-hmm. They have the worst winning percentage of any pro hockey team, pro baseball team, pro football team. It doesn't matter what sport you're talking about. Basketball, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. They, they are statistically the worst champion in the history of professional sports, of North American professional sports. Yeah. So... If that's who you want to hit your wagon to, so be it. Mm-hmm. I, that's not. I'm not going to try to bank on a, a global exception, a freak occurrence of which we've never seen. And I think all your other points are valid. I do think that Cardinals team is a little crappier than you're, you know, suggesting maybe. I mean, yeah, certainly I, well, the I pieces mean, were there, but right, Jeff the Weaver, sense, Anthony Reyes, that team stunk. The, the rotation just stunk. right. And
0: you and they lost their closer. I, I think Isringhausen was. I think the closer. Then they lost him before the end of the season. Adam Wainwright became the closer. But at the same time, that was a Larusa managed ball club, and well, what
1: does that mean, though? Are you? In I'm this saying camp that Brad Ausmus, managers are worth I'm ten saying, wins. I'm saying all that crap. I I'm mean, saying if Brad Ausmus, what is La Larusa worth?
0: I'm saying if Brad Ausmus had that lineup and had that team, even if they got those eighty three wins and made the playoffs, they do not win the World Series.
1: Well, I, I probably agree with that. I, I, yeah. I don't. I'm more of like the manager can hurt you more than he can help you. Sure. I just want my manager to do the basic right thing. Put your best hitter yeah. in the two hole. You know, this is something that's been. Uh, a joke in the entire Leland era, extending into the Osmus era, mm-hmm. where the the we, cycle of two hitters, the guy, the list is just—it's a joke. The it's guys that have been penciled in but
0: over the last two years. I mean, you yeah. look at it: Upton, JD, Castianos. Uh, if somebody two years ago would have said Avila is going to be the best number two hitter you have, uh, people would have would have scoffed at it. Now Maben was great, but Maben was only there for a hundred games due to injuries, and they let him, or they traded him for you know some double a pitcher but chris tyler collins was in the two hole oh this year like I, I try times. to i try not to acknowledge his existence well you I should about because it, it
1: would make for a, a good meltdown oh on your my part. goodness well, how do you have tyler collins in the two hole a guy that you ended up releasing this this team i've never seen anything like it it'll be a guy in the two hole that is the most important position in a lineup and the guy will end up released later in the year i mean the the list of, of guys is just incredible that that you could go down. But the most recent example is Tyler Collins, a guy who has played not just oh one game and awesome has had a hangover that day. I mean, we're talking repeated insertions into the two hole mm-hmm. for a guy that you released and no one, not only released but no one wanted a guy yeah. that cleared his his waivers to get to AAA. I right. mean, what are they doing?
0: Uh, it, that was uh, yeah, and I I know you had Ron Shuling on last episode, and uh, he he was the biggest I mean even before he was in the two hole he was a big anti Tyler Collins guy and I never saw Collins as somebody who would be a everyday starter in the major leagues I saw him as at best maybe a guy who would work best in the NL come off the bench maybe provide some pop but yeah just looking at it and and looking at the lineup I think every opposing pitcher would say who's that guy who's in between Miguel Cabrera and Ian Kinsler who is the, who's Tyler Collins? Yeah, if oh. the
1: Tigers are on the road and visiting, it's like they're going to be, who
0: the hell is this guy? Exactly. That 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 was one of my, my biggest freakouts was when uh, they went on the road to Houston against the best team in baseball, against a spot starter, Fulmer threw a gem, and he sat Upton and Iglesias and played Machado and had Collins in the two spot. I mean, that was just, once again, just mind-boggling because you don't, Look, obviously, the advanced analytics show Tyler Collins was a bum, but you don't need you don't need advanced analytics for that. You just use an eye test. You can see the guy can't hit. He's swinging it at pitches that are in the third row. I mean, it's unbelievable that they kept going back to it. I mean, that's the definition of insanity that they kept going back to Collins until he was basically forced to release the guy. And I think if if that wouldn't have happened we still would probably see him, well, because J.D. returned, probably not as much, but on occasion, we would still see him in, in similar roles.
1: I think Tyler Collins is a good segue to the last point of, of this portion of the show. And that's something you and I were talking about briefly before, is the number of players in the last 10 years for this team that have given it to the fans. That have You had Tyler Collins literally flicking off the fans. You have about five other guys figuratively flicking out the fans obviously prince fielder's fiasco there, there were more than one everyone talks about the the elimination from the postseason when he made his oh i got kids uh, he was doing that crap for months mm-hmm. i mean just you know uh you know i, I know my bad average isn't where i want it to be you know the fans are going to say what they're going to say i don't really care about the fan like everyone focuses on this one day prince fielder had about 10 comments throughout the year that were negative towards the fans right victor martinez has called out the fans repeatedly this is something, you know, Justin Verlander chided the fans, I believe, uh, two or three years ago for booing at one point. I mean, it, this is something where I can't see this in other towns. Maybe it does happen, but you have such an underachieving team that has been, it's been the blue ball era, really, which is, you know, I'll give credit where it's due, was my former partner, Jeff Moss for DSR, he called it the blue ball era. It's like this That's has been, way to put it. it's the—it's so well said. I mean, it's, there's no better way to put it. It's been the ultimate tease. You have every year this team has high expectations, and every year they fall short. They get to the two World Series, they win one game one between the two of them against
0: inferior teams on both occasions.
1: And they had to cheat to win the one game that they did. That's Kenny, right, Ro- Kenny, right, Kenny, Kenny the Rogers, the pine tar incident. Pine tar. But it wasn't like a little bit of pine tar. The guy had like a, it looked like another baseball glove. And on. they
0: almost blew that game. Remember, Tom right. Jones came in and, yep. and didn't know how to field a baseball, and so I, that. So, yeah. so
1: they in, in nine World Series games they went one and eight, and they had to cheat. There's an asterisk next to the one. I mean, <laughs> it, this has been such a, a crippling era uh, from from a fan perspective, and you have the the players repeatedly going after the fans. So you're you're a passionate fan. What do you think? Of the most recent example of you know Miguel Cabrera sort of dismissing the fans and saying he doesn't you know he doesn't care and he's just doing his job and just trade everybody and I mean do do you feel personally attacked by these players I think it's insane what they've been saying over the last five years
0: Well I mean I can't say I feel personally attacked but as a fan yeah I, f- I feel part of a community Well they didn't name you but I feel I mean, yeah exactly I mean. yeah, yeah I mean. as a, but yeah. G- give it time but at the same time uh, they as a community. I think fans should absolutely feel offended because that just to me that shows a lack of awareness of what's happened in this era where you don't understand the fact that this is a city that's been yearning for a championship for a long time that's had a decade of great success of multiple MVPs a triple crown winner two Cy Young winners uh, if, I mean, three if you include uh, David Price when he was here, an ERA champion, and in Sanchez for one year. I mean, y- a team that was good enough to win a World Series, you didn't. And now they're trying to act like this, like they've earned the respect to tell us to be patient. We've been these fans have been patient. I mean, I'm from a younger generation. How about the people who experienced uh, 1988 through 2005? Where? You know, are you going to you're going to talk to those people and say, be patient. I don't care what the fans have to say. It's the fans who they're the paying customers. They're the people who went from an empty stadium to making that one of the top five most attended ballparks in all of Major League Baseball. And you're attacking them. I I think that's ridiculous. And it shows to me that they don't have their priorities straight, honestly, because you unless you're saying something positive about the fans, don't say anything at all. Because it's only you're only gonna put your foot in your mouth. You're only gonna look stupid, and that was the problem. With I mean, go back to Joe Nathan. I mean, how many times did that happen? And the thing how could I forget that? I, I can't believe I forgot that example. Yeah, I mean, which which <laughs> was, which, which example? I mean, there were so many that he well, I'm did,
1: talking about when he basically told the fans to fuck off with his little yeah chin fuck, yeah where I mean.
0: he did the most half-assed pussy uh flip, yeah. flicking of, of the middle finger to the crowd. But uh, no, yeah, that there was that and. The thing is, the fans will turn the fans here are, for the most part, very loyal. But when they turn is when the players call them out. A lot of people, for some reason, w- were willing to let Francisco Rodriguez uh, were willing to give him chance after chance, because after almost every blown save, he was saying, "That's embarrassing. that's on me. I need to pitch better." And then all of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, one day he said, I, this isn't my job. I've, uh, I've earned the right as, as a closer, as somebody with 400 saves. I'm not a mop-up guy, which, once again, just another example of, I mean, are, are you completely oblivious? Like, if Mariano Rivera came out of retirement, I don't think the Yankees would be like, hey, Chapman, take a seat. This guy's got, this guy's got tenure. He's the all-time saves leader. You know, the guy didn't have it, and that's when the fans turned on him. And uh, finally, I mean, you know, the, he had already dug his grave w- with the amount of blown saves he had this year. Because I mean, honestly, let's say Justin Wilson becomes the closer 15 games into the year. I mean, it could, it could be a different story. We could be talking about this team maybe being buyers at the trade deadline. And p- possible. P- possible. I mean,
1: you know, it's similar. I, don't, I can't think of a, a single incident where, it, whether it's Detroit or elsewhere, where an athlete has called out his fan base and the fans said, you know, you're right. We kind of suck. We're, we we got to treat you better. I mean, that's, it's just not a smart play. It never works. It's never even neutral. It it, it it certainly never helps. It's never even neutral. It's always a negative blowback. Joey Harrington alienated himself from the fan base for saying, Hey, I wasn't here for the nineties. Don't blame me. Uh, you know, we saw it again with golden Tate two years ago mm-hmm. when he signed with the lions. He said, I wasn't here for 116. Don't ask me about it. Like, I get it. You weren't, no, it's not your fault, but can you just stop attacking the fans and like you said, have some perspective on the history and know where you're going. <laughs>
0: and and there's a total tone deafness here, but Yeah, that's that's I, the best way to put it. It just it. drives me nuts. Yes. Um and I, I can think of one time, not Detroit sports history, but one time and this is I'm um, you know, this is loose here, but where a, a player bashed the fans and it ultimately turned out to be uh, you know, kind of a smart move, and that was David Justice in the 95 World Series calls out the Braves fans for not, you know, selling out World Series games, which at that time, that was a team much like Detroit that it had a an extended period of success and hadn't won a championship, and then he goes out in game six, hit drives in the only run with a solo home run, and all of a sudden, all, all is forgiven. That's the only time. And that's because he backed it up with performance. Besides that, you're absolutely right. The, and it, it kind of amazes me that athletes don't realize that.
1: I, I like that you're citing the 1995 World Series when you were like a, a tadpole. Well, yeah, no, uh, I think you,
0: uh, that I was born, but yeah, I, I wasn't. Uh, you were
1: like still pooping your pants and all that stuff. So Well, yeah, I mean, yeah.
0: That, that lasted <laughs> a lot
1: longer than yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, it lasted well beyond infancy. Right. Uh, well, Chris, thanks for joining us. I'm going to hold you over just a little bit. We're going to tackle our last segment here, but I want to get your thoughts quickly on um, our winner. We're going to move to our winner and loser of the day. And just to show what a swell guy I am and how objective I am, and really how objective the segment is, (laughs) last week we had Mike Valenti as our loser, and look who moved on over to the good side today. Mike Valenti, today's winner. It has been in the news that the Cubs, according to ESPN and numerous other sources, are after Michael Fulmer. The Detroit fans are apoplectic about this, saying how could you ever trade Michael Fulmer, hang up the phone, you're nuts, yada, yada, yada. Mike Vilenny responds very intelligently with why these fans need to calm down. Clip one, run it. Cubs called and asked about Fulmer, Norris, but I'm focused on Fulmer. I think a lot of people are aghast at even the thought, oh my
0: God, I would never trade Fulmer.
1: My question to you is, why do you look at it as pure loss when Fulmer could unlock a quicker rebuild? If you do it right, and this is where, hey, if you don't believe in Avila, I get it. I don't know that I do. But doing the fulmer deal correctly could shave 2 years off a rebuild. Spot on. You got to look at where your perspective is as a Tigers fan. This is you're entering a rebuild and if you can turn one piece into three or four, you got to at least look at it. I'm not saying do it, it depends what the pieces are. But when you are in a rebuild situation, you might trade the one sure thing for the two maybes and the two on shots. If they're really strong maybes and two pretty high payoff on shots, I mean that's, I mean that's where I stand. I, I just I, you can say, oh, we could never trade Miguel Cabrera. We heard that over the years repeatedly. You'd be insane to trade Miguel Cabrera. Well, what did it, what they get you? You know why can't you? I'm not saying do it. I'm not saying I would be on the banging the drum on the top of some building saying to trade Miguel Cabrera six years ago. I wouldn't have wanted to trade him. But you get out of the never business. Okay, You can have an $85,000 Mercedes. I'm never trading this in. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And then a $200,000 Ferrari's on the table. And it's like, eh, maybe I'll trade it now. It depends what you're getting. So this whole idea of this asset is so valuable that I wouldn't trade it for anything. I hang up the phone. Fans are so ignorant, and they just don't get it. Uh, but let's play clip two of Lenny finishing his uh, terrific point here. You know, the Cubs have, depending on what you read, three or four top 100 prospects. They also have a guy like Schwarber who's not a prospect yet. He's down in the minors. And they also have the financial wherewithal to maybe take a bad contract with it. You know, if you can get a couple of those guys, major league-ready guys, guys like Ian Happ are major league-ready, Schwarber, major league-ready. You know, you, you, you get one of these immovable deals with no salary offset. I, I, to me, I would listen. Well, Mike, Mike hit this right on the head again. I mean, it's, it's a great point. It's not just the pieces you could bring in. But maybe you can saddle the Cubs with that Anibal Sanchez contract. It only has one year left for, I think it's uh, $16 million for 2018. But that's a lot of money to get off your payroll. So maybe you say, hey, we'll give you Fulmer and Sanchez, who, by the way, they still might be able to use. I mean, he's been pretty effective lately overall. Yeah. So, you know, relatively. But the point for is you're shit your sh- for him. But he's a useful arm. Maybe use him out of the pen. Whatever. The point is the contract anyway. So right. maybe you say take Fulmer and Sanchez. And give us a King's Ransom. Give us four or five pieces they have, as Lenny illustrated, You know, multiple top 100 prospects and a, and a couple in the top 25. you got to listen. Do you not agree?
0: You know, honestly, it wasn't until I listened to that segment last night where I did change my opinion. Because originally I was thinking, no, because we're not paying the guy anything. And, you know, he's a guy that you can build around. He can be the centerpiece of this of this whole thing, but I thought about it, and I listened to the points that Mike made, and I would absolutely listen to it, you know, the, the idea of potentially doing it, and be, now I would ask, if I'm Alavila, I'm asking for, basically, you let me pick three, pro, <clears throat> sorry, you let me pick three players, you know, of my choosing, and, and you let me take them, and you can have Falmer. I wouldn't—now, I, I heard that they were inquiring about both Falmer and Norris. I wouldn't give up both those guys, but I would consider—and it's tough, it's tough as a fan. I think that's why fans have had the reaction because, I mean, Michael Falmer's awesome. Michael Fulmer's, uh, the, the best player on this team right now. Michael Falmer's, you know, since day one has done everything that this team could have possibly asked for. But much like the potential of trading Verlander, it's a business. And if you think if you can get this Cubs organization, one of the even with the team struggles, one of the most well-run organizations in sports right now and get their three or four best prospects, you, you might have to do it. Now, with that said, I have two things. One, I don't think it'll happen. I don't think they'll trade Falmer. I don't think Avila would would pull that string. And two, I worry about the Epstein effect. I always worry when p- teams make trades with the Cubs that there's something he's seeing that other GMs aren't. And I mean, this is the guy. This is the guy who traded Scott Feldman for Pedro Strop and Jake Arrieta. I mean, th- this is a guy who traded uh, half a season of Jeff Samarja for Addison Russell. You know, so I worry about that potentially, but. At the same time, I wouldn't let that scare me from from at least inquiring about it.
1: Well, I mean, you look at the Araldis Chapman trade last year. I don't think the Yankees are are upset that they have Gleyber Torres, who right. before needing Tommy John surgery in a fr- you know just freak sliding accident was the you know second best prospect in baseball, right. tearing up Double A, tearing up Triple A, was on the verge of a promotion. Mm-hmm. And for a couple months at Chapman, they got this guy, and uh, you know I think a couple other pieces too. So. Epstein is not, you know, he, it was a good trade for the Cubs for what they were doing, but it's not like he's just shaking guys down all the time. I mean, they made sure. a trade with the A's. Uh, I can't remember that, that kid, their shortstop or second baseman with the A's that just got called up a few weeks ago. You know, he's not infallible as a, as a GM, but I, I get your point. I, I, just, I think, and you mentioned Fulmer's going to be the centerpiece. I don't buy this in baseball. It's not basketball. You know, you can look at Giancarlo Stanton has been a star player for a lot of crap teams. Miguel Cabrera has been on multiple last place teams for the Tigers and a couple for the Marlins, a best player in baseball at the time. Mm-hmm. There's no centerpiece for baseball. There, there's no such thing. You have some of the best players. A-Rod was on last place teams in Texas, right. hitting 55 home runs, hitting 330. was the consensus top player in baseball. The team stunk. Yeah. You don't get – there's no centerpiece in baseball. They're all just one good piece that you need to build upon little by little. So if you can trade that one really good piece for potentially three or four really good pieces, and it's Schwarber we already know can hit. I mean, it's he's, his average stinks, but he's got a lot of power. And, you know, he, he's projected, I think, if you extrapolate this at-bats at the major league level, it's like 39, 40 home runs. I know that's not a perfect science, but you can get multiple pieces to build this up. I'm not saying do it. We don't know. We can't say because we're not in the room for the negotiations. We don't know what's being bandied about as a possibility. But if you can get two or three top prospects and they take some salary back, like in in Sanchez, Mm -hmm. I I probably do it. I I, I think one piece is not going to get you to contention anytime soon, three or four, May. Um, I don't want to see Fulmer go, but that's where I see it. But we have to cut it there. You have to get back to, I believe, Lansing for an interview. So we're going to let you go, uh, and, and thank you to everyone for joining us, but thank you uh, to Chris as well. Chris, tell tell everyone where we can follow you on Twitter for the six people out there that don't follow you. Oh, God, okay. Well, y-
0: you are, have been way too complimentary, but I appreciate it. Well,
1: I, I got you on the upswing, though, so you're very early in your fame. So that in a couple months, you probably won't even look at me. Yeah, that's you're true. You're going to lose or, or, my number. Or, or, or you'll
0: say, well, why do we have that guy on?
1: <laughs> but no, I, you're blowing up. You're on the upswing. Well,
0: thank you, but you can follow my personal – Twitter account. That's at Castellani2014. I'll spell that out. That's at C A S T E L L A N I 2014. If you want to follow my podcast on Twitter, that's at B S B Casanova. I don't think I have to spell that one out for you. If you want to find that podcast, you can go on SoundCloud and find it. Uh, if you go to iTunes under the podcast section, just search up Baseball Casanova. It's the first one that pops up. Uh, click that subscribe button. Write a review, positive or negative. I love hearing feedback from the listeners. And uh, I'd, I'd really appreciate a follow on one or both of those accounts. And uh, Justin, thank you uh, very much for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun.
1: Uh, Chris, I hope you'll join us again. and uh, Assuming you don't you know, blow out your heart or something. I mean, right. you <laughs> just I, I see the veins coming through your forehead at yeah. the time in these <laughs> <laughs> videos. But I highly recommend checking this guy out. I was a skeptic, uh, not because I had any reason specifically to be a skeptic, but I just don't believe anything is as cool as people say. Uh, well, anytime
0: somebody, anytime there's a video of, of that somebody picks up a camera and it, who's a fan of a team and starts screaming. I mean, y- there's there's this guy on YouTube who who's an Eagles fan who does stuff like that, and it's you know it's embarrassing, but so it. You but know, in- your
1: rants are intelligent though. That's well, what I right. like about it. Yeah. They're,
0: they're funny. They you know what you're talking about.
1: It's not just some guy pulling his hair out. I mean, there you know right. people. I think like measured rants, you know, that have some, some intelligent quotient. Structured
0: back in chaos, Stru- L- like perfect. the like the Joker. Yes, yeah, that, that, structured that's structured chaos. Yes.
1: So uh, thank you so much for joining us. I hope to get you in again. Absolutely. I hope you're not too famous for us in two months. We'll, we'll love to have you back, and uh, there'll be a lot to discuss. Maybe even in the next month with the trade deadline coming up. Oh, almost forgot. And how could I forget the loser of this segment? I mean, really, this is half the reason we're here is to talk about the losers in the media in Detroit. This is going to be probably much like Anthony Fenwick, a common occurrence where we have Doug Karsh and Scott the Gator Anderson appearing in this segment. And, and this is something that broke down last week. The news of the Avery Bradley trade to the Detroit Pistons came out. Everyone was talking about it. It was the top article on ESPN.com, top article on Sports Illustrated.com, top article in the Detroit News, top article in the Detroit Free Press. So it was the top story. Everyone was talking about it except Carson Anderson, who were talking about literally whether or not you, quote, use a public drinking fountain. This was the topic of the day, the new that the minute that the news of the Avery-Bradley trade came down the wire. Everyone was talking about it but Carson Anderson. And don't worry, guys. They moved on to the second topic right after they were done with drinking fountains, and they were asking the audience to call in to comment on your, quote, most socially awkward friend. So... You have a major trade in the Detroit sports scene. Pistons acquire Avery Bradley. Everyone is talking about it. Carson and Anderson are talking about drinking fountains and socially awkward friends. So, I mean, this isn't, uh, by definition, it's not a sports take, but this is just a perfect microcosm of what we see in this town. Even in the face of major news, you have half the, half the radio shows in town are taking calls on light rail, food cart, ice fishing, public drinking fountains, public restrooms, everything but sports, basically. I get it. Not every topic is going to be uh, about sports. It's a downtime in, in, in the sports scene, and I get it. you got to fill a lot of time. But if you're going to deviate away from sports, at least do it when there's not a breaking story coming down the wire in town. And if you are going to do some type of deviation, you're going to take a different course because there is no breaking news in town. And the Tigers, you can't talk about it for the 37th time this week at least make the conversation a little bit more intelligent than public restrooms, public drinking fountains, ice fishing, the like. There are th- more important things and more riveting things you can talk about than whether a guy is willing to take a shit in a public restroom. I mean, it's, it's just bottom-of-the-barrel stuff from Carson Anderson, and it's what we've become accustomed to. So they are the loser of the day, and it is very fitting because they are kind of loserish with their takes and with their show, and it's just boring stuff, and it's going to be something we hear again and again. But anyway, Carson Anderson, the first of many, I'm sure, losers of the day for their just total ignoring of the Avery Bradley trade as it came down the wire. We are going to finally wrap up here, and I will finish my earlier thought that uh, Jed Schilling, our producer here, has just been terrific and knows everything that I do not know, and that is a lot. So we thank Jed, tireless producer, and, and really drives the bus here. I'm just kind of along for the ride, so thank you to Jed we have uh, a lot coming down the wire in the next couple of weeks and I look forward to that and thank you until then for joining us I am Justin Spiro for the Spiro Avenue podcast we will talk to you very soon thank you